at the head she stands of birth and toil and fate in their slow round this cycles turn to her call alone her hands can change times dragon base hers is the mystery the night conceals the spirit's alchemist energy is hers she is the golden bridge the wonderful fire the luminous heart of the unknown is she a part of silence in the depths of god she is the force the inevitable word the magnet of our difficult ascent the sun from which we kindle all our suns the light that leans from the unrealized vasts the joy that beckons from the impossible the might of all that never yet came down all nature dumbly calls to her alone to heal with her feet the aching throb of life and break the seals on the dim soul of man and kindle her fire in the closed heart of things all here shall be one day her sweetness is home all contraries prepare her harmony towards her our knowledge climbs our passion gropes in her miraculous rapture we shall dwell her clasp shall turn to ecstasy our pain our self shall be one self with all through her in her confirmed because transformed in her our life shall find in its fulfilled response above the boundless hushed beatitudes below the wonder of the embrace divine among all of your windows writings savitri occupies a very special place of course chronologically it happens to be the last of the major works that he was to write but there is something peculiar about the way he went about writing savitri as if all the time he was waiting for savitri to get ready to come down as you know most of your bindu's writings which eventually came into about 29 volumes 30 volumes in the centenary edition most of it came out in the aryas between 1914 and 1920 and during these 6 years at any given time shorbindo used to write simultaneously 
five to six books. Just imagine this feat, somebody writing simultaneously six books. If you want an evidence of this, you just have to go to any issue of the Arya. And I happen to have checked up the August 1916 issue of Arya. And what do you find there? You find in that single issue the following, each one of them written by Shorabindu. Chapter 25 of the Life Divine. Chapter 29 of the Synthesis of Yoga. Chapter 1 of the Human Cycle. Chapter 1 of Essays on the Gita. A translation of a few of the Vedic hymns and chapter 12 of the ideals of human unity. Just imagine somebody writing seven different books at the same time. And people who lived in those days with Shurabindo have noted this, that invariably he waited for a telegram to come from Madras, asking for material to go to the press and there he sat and between breakfast and lunch a chapter of the Life Divine was ready. Between lunch and afternoon tea as it were a chapter of the human cycle was ready. Between afternoon tea and evening dinner a chapter of essays on the Gita's was ready. I have written thesis myself, one measly thesis, it took me two years and I made everybody's life a hell. My wives, my neighbors, my friends, what was I doing? I was doing a thesis. Here was somebody who was writing at any given time during this period of 1914 and 20, six different books. And I think in the entire history of writing, nowhere will you find a work of the magnitude of the life divine coming out without even a framework. Sri Aurobindo didn't even have a framework. If you had asked him on the 14th or 15th of August 1914, when the first issue of the Arya came out, Mr. Ghosh, how many chapters are going to be in this book? He didn't know. Without any plan, without any scheme, it was as if the goddess of inspiration was waiting for his command and a Niagara of creativity just flew down his fingers onto the typewriter. A person who had such creativity and when he stopped in 1920, he said, I could have gone on for several years, but this he thought was enough for the next one millennium, for a thousand years. If humanity can absorb this, probably there will be time for other works, another version of the life divine. So he stopped it not because there was nothing more for him to write, he stopped because he thought it was enough. Now a person 
who had this kind of tremendous creativity worked on Savitri for 50 years. It's unbelievable. For many years, he wrote it himself. After 1945, Nirodh Baran became his secretary and he used to dictate and Nirodh Baran used to take it down to his dictation. And even after he became the writer, it is reported Shurabindo hardly had half an hour for Savitri. I'll come back to this point. Shurabindo never regarded writing as his primary job. However, he wrote this over 50 years. A man who could, who could write six books at one time. How did it take him 50 years? Why did it take him 50 years? Sri Aurobindo himself explains why. In one of his letters, he says, I used Savitri as a means of ascension. I began with it on a certain mental level. Each time I could reach a higher level, I rewrote it from that level. Moreover, I was particular if parts seemed to come from any lower levels, I was not satisfied to leave it because it was good poetry. All had to be, as far as possible, of the same mint. In fact, Savitri has not been regarded by me as a poem to be written and finished but as a field of experimentation to see how far poetry could be written from one's own yogic consciousness and how that could be made creative. This is a letter that you find on page 727 to the end of Savitri. <coughs> Now, the best thing is to go to someone who is qualified to interpret Shurabindu. And who else can that be if not Amal Kiran? Now, Amal Kiran has this comment on this little passage from the letter. He says, we can gather several points here. First and foremost, Savitri is an adventure in poetry. But the aim is not merely to write good poetry. The poetry has to be good from the highest spiritual plane possible. This plane has to be creative in terms of poetic values. Savitri should express poetically the peak reached by Shorobindo's progressive spiritual ascension. Therefore, 
we cannot consider it either as sheer poetry or as sheer spirituality it must help us at the same time to ascend to shorobindo's own peak and do so with the full awareness of the poetic way in which the peak has been communicated communicative of its truth its power its delight savitri has to be taken as shorobindo's spiritual autobiography which is meant to make us relive his inner life of both poetic creativity and creative spirituality in simpler words what it means is that in writing savitri shorobindo has left behind for mankind a verbal embodiment of his own consciousness in reading savitri it is not so much the poetry not the vision not the philosophy not the great verbal mastery that he shows in each line of savitri that is important but these are all means of getting beyond to the very core and the real core of savitri is this consciousness of shorobindo with which it vibrates so ultimately the reason for reading savitri is to get for oneself to get in touch into contact with shorobindo's own consciousness now very often in my simpler way i explain things in this manner very often people ask of lighting the life divine synthesis of yoga essays on the gita on the vedas upanishads why did shorobindo have to write savitri once again <clears throat> well let us regard all this body of works like the gita that the lord wrote in a previous avatar but how many people can benefit from the gita you have to be an arjun you have to be a bhishma but there are many 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 people who can't benefit from the gita for them the lord left something else the magic enchantment of his flute so in the middle of the night the gopis sleeping in their own houses heard this distant call of the lord's flute left everything abandoned themselves to its call and almost effortlessly were able to find union with the lord's consciousness so shorobindo wrote savitri out of sheer love for people like you and me who have the gopi souls who have the souls of gopis who find the life divine daunting who find the synthesis of yoga difficult 
But if you have a heart, and if you can give your heart's adoration, and here is the Lord's flute, submit yourself to its enchantment, you don't have to do anything at all except keep the temple clean so that the music is received, the enchantment is felt. So this is the primary purpose for which one reads Savitri. Very often people ask, Oh, he is not even a graduate. How can he read Savitri? I am a double graduate. I don't understand it. The reason is, you fool, you don't understand it because you are a double graduate. Because if you are a double graduate, there is a double impediment between you and Savitri. So it is this, that's the magic of it. And therefore, your understanding of Savitri is not a function of how well trained you are. Even how well trained you are to receive poetry. It seems to me very often that you need the grace of the Divine to open yourself to Savitri. Nothing less than that will help. And so, in writing Savitri, Sri Aurobindo was doing something unique. He was leaving for posterity a verbal embodiment of his own consciousness with the help of it we could get in touch with his consciousness and proceed in our sadhana. <coughs> now, Sri Aurobindo also has said <coughs> in one of his letters, there have been made several successive revisions each trying to lift the general level higher and higher towards a possible overmental poetry. That's what Shurbindo says. As Savitri now stands, there is a general overmind influence, I believe, sometimes coming fully through, sometimes coloring the poetry of other higher planes fused together, sometimes lifting any one of these higher planes to its highest or the psychic poetic intelligence or vital towards them. Amal Kiran once again, it is incomparable best. He says, mention of the overmind aligns Savitri to the top reach of the Vedas, the Upanishads and the Gita and the enormous mass of it, nearly 24,000 verses, renders it a superscripture, an unparalleled storehouse of spiritual wisdom. But we must remember that this wisdom comes at its best in the form of what the ancients called the mantra. <coughs> Now, there is something very puzzling about Savitri and I would like to share that puzzlement with you. Savitri is so important for all of us 
But even in 1934 and 31, Sri writes letters to his disciples, mainly to Amal Kiran, I have no time for Savitri, he says. There are plenty of other things. 1931 he says that, 1934 he says that, and he says, I can come to Savitri maybe once in a month. That's all he says, I have time for, once in a month. And even when Nirodbaran started taking it down to his dictation, he hardly had half an hour for Savitri. So you wonder, what Shurabindu was really doing? He has written most of his major works between the period of 1914 and 1920. Some, of course, he revised. But what, he, what else, what, what, what is it that he was doing that he was so busy that he didn't even have time to devote himself to the writing, completion of Savitri? What is it that he was doing? Well, this has puzzled many people. In fact, this is a greater, great puzzle about it. Even before he came to Pondicherry in 1910, he had had some of the highest yogic realizations. He didn't come to Pondicherry to become a yogi. He already had these realizations. What did he do? for 40 long years. And his stay in Pondicherry was a puzzlement to everybody. Mahatma Gandhi wondered why this man who was such a vibrant leader of the national freedom struggle, alas, is lost to this country. Jawaharlal Nehru wondered when Gandhi came from South Africa and led the freedom struggle, gave the call for the non-cooperation movement, we expected Shurbindo would come back from his retirement and join our struggle. That he didn't do so disappointed us a great deal. Jawaharlal Nehru writing forward to Karan Singh's PhD thesis, Shurabindu, the prophet of nationalism. What was he doing for 40 years? Now to say, to turn to Jawaharlal Nehru's comment, this comment is so ridiculous, I can only give you an imaginary equivalent to it. Imagine General Eisenhower, heard of General Eisenhower? The man who led the Allied troops during the Second World War. Suppose he were to write in his memoirs, when America declared war against Hitler, I expected Einstein to leave his laboratory and come and enlist as a marine soldier or I don't know and participate in the morning parade doing left, right, left, right 
that Einstein didn't do this disappointed me a great deal. You fool, just because Einstein continued in the laboratory, you were able to perfect the nuclear bomb and win the Second World War. If Einstein had left the laboratory and enlisted himself as a soldier in the Second World War, I don't think America would have won the Second World War or won it so easily. So, if there is an Indian, if there is a humanity worth saving, it is because Sri Aurobindo continued here for 40 years and didn't come out. Sri Aurobindo was not primarily concerned at that stage whether India was going to be free. He was concerned with a greater problem. When will man be free from the shackles of ignorance, from the shackles of death, from the shackles of all the limitations which have bound him down. So many centuries people have been trying, struggling hard to free man, to find a perfect life for an individual and society. We have not succeeded in finding this. When will man be free? Can man be free? This was his quest. And he spent 40 years trying to find out if there is an answer. Great religious teachers have come. Ramakrishna himself came. Raman Maharshi came. They all brought glorious light from heaven. How many people want this light? How many people benefited from this light? 5,000? 10,000? 15,000 people, would you say, have benefited from the coming of Ramakrishna Paramhaus? Such a great light come from directly from heaven. How many people benefited? So Shurabindo was asking, once in a century Ramakrishna comes, once in 500 years a Raman Maharshi comes, and yet nothing basically happens to this world, the world goes on forever, bound to ignorance, bound to death, not even prepared to see the light, not even prepared, willing to accept the light, how long is it going to go on? Can something be done to help mankind? This was his quest. And in these 40 years, Sri made sure that what he had come for was achieved that the descent of the supermind in the earth consciousness was achieved. He gave towards this task his life as well as his death. Writing all the books, whether it's the life divine or Savitri, were secondary to this primary objective. Shorbindo's 40 years sadhana cleared as it were all the impediments, all the obstacles in the occult world to the descent of the supramental consciousness down onto this earth. And if you remember this, 
that bringing down the supramental consciousness was Sri Aurobindo's primary work of his avatar, then you see writing all these books were secondary to this primary enterprise that he took up. In writing Savitri, Sri Aurobindo did something very wonderful. The 20th century primarily has been a century of nihilism. This is a century when people have talked about human life as a wasteland. T.S. Eliot's wasteland is a very good representative of the 20th century mentality. This is a century when people have found spiritual desolation, metaphysical emptiness, life is not worth living. In the 1968 Paris student movement, underground movement, they say there was a slogan written on one of the underground stations in Paris and the slogan said, nothing is true, everything is permitted. Nothing is true, there is nothing like truth here. There is no truth and you can do what you like. This was the depth of despair. 20th century has been a terrible century, not only of Hitler's and Mussolini's. At the beginning of this century, it's very interesting, when they were putting together a revised edition of the British Encyclopedia, the world came torture. You have to make an entry for the world torture. And the person who was writing this entry said, torture is a medieval concept. Man is now so advanced that we don't need the notion of torture. But Hitler outdid everybody. And the term torture got a new connotation in the 20th century. So 20th century is primarily an age of despair, of desolation. If you read 20th century literature, the central question 20th century literature is asking, is human life worth living? As somebody said, the only philosophical, metaphysical question worth discussing is how best to end life. That has been the tone of 20th century literature everywhere in the West. And it is against this that Shorabindo was writing Savitri. He inundated the earth atmosphere with the vibrations of hope. Man has to live. The human enterprise is a wonderful enterprise. This creation, he says, is not an unfortunate accident. It's a miracle gradually blossoming towards its perfection. Even for one man to say this and inundate, flood as it were, the earth atmosphere with vibrations of hope, with vibrations of love, was a wonderful thing, was a great thing that Sri Aurobindo did. It was as if Sri Aurobindo, against the whole of the Western world, talking about desolation, talking about despair, talking about worthlessness of life, talking about the meaninglessness of life, when he kept asserting life has a meaning, 
life has a purpose man's life is a wonderful thing it's wonderful to be alive it's wonderful to be here on earth this a great adventure of consciousness and in writing savitri this is what shorbindu was doing he was inundating the earth atmosphere with these vibrations of hope with these vibrations of love and also the writing of savitri in many ways is a recordation of something he did elsewhere savitri to me is the golden bridge the wonderful fire remember the lines we read in the beginning the invocation of the mother there were these lines she is the golden bridge the wonderful fire the luminous heart of the unknown is she a part of silence in the depths of god she is the force the inevitable world the magnet of our difficult ascent the sun from which we kindle all our suns the light that leans from the unrealized vast the joy that beckons from the impossible the might of all that never yet came down these are lines which not only describe the divine mother these are also lines that describe savitri it's a wonderful bridge the golden bridge that shorbindu built between this world of our limitations human limitations and the future world he has opened up and the writing of savitri therefore is a very very significant event in human history so in studying savitri we are not simply reading another great work of literature great works of literature the world has goethe wrote great poetry dante wrote great poetry there is a lot of great poetry in the world we do not come to savitri primarily because it is great poetry of course that it is great poetry is a bonus <clears throat> i would like to conclude this by referring to something <clears throat> somebody once said about dante you see one of the things i do not do in my talks is compare savitri with other great epics partly because i lack the scholarship to do this you have dante's divine comedy you have goethe's you have milton's epics you have all kinds of epics and one could easily go on talking for a whole month comparing this scene with that scene but i don't do it because then it takes you away from savitri to some other things that's not our enterprise and the other reason i don't do it is the person who wrote savitri has really no comparison you cannot you can compare the poetry of savitri with poetry the poetry of divine comedy that is possible but if you take the whole of savitri the the power it has the power it is you can't compare that with any book at all about dante it is said that he was exiled from his native florence in 1302 
and for 20 years he kept wandering from one place to another place and during this time he also wrote his divine comedy but people who saw him this is the record they have left of dante's appearance what did dante look like people who saw his tragic and somber form go by would say to one another this is a man who has been to hell and back again you could see it on his face that this is a man who had who had gone to the hell and come back again he looked he looked it that he had been to hell about shorobindu let us take the testimony of somebody whose words carry great weight to indians who would that be tagore like mahatma gandhi like jawaharlal nehru tagore also concluded that shorobindu was a great loss to the country he had was in pondicherry for 40 years at the, by that time for 15 16 years what was he doing so he expressed his misgivings and dilip kumar roy wrote to tagore before you make up your mind why don't you go see yourself for yourself so on september 29 1928 tagore came to pondicherry and met shorobindu now people say after he had seen shorobindu he came out came back and for 3 days he didn't say a single word he locked himself up in a room and later on referring to this meeting this is what he has said you know what people have said about dante they they, they said there is there is a man who has been to hell and back again this is what they said about dante but what about shorobindu what did tagore say about shorobindu this is 29 september 1928 that time he had been here already for 18 years this is what tagore says at the very first sight i could realize that he had been seeking the soul and had gained it and through his long process of realization had accumulated within him a silent power of inspiration his face was radiant with an inner light and his serene presence made it evident to me that his soul was not crippled and cramped to the measure of some tyrannical doctrine which takes delight in inflicting wounds upon life i felt that the utterance of the ancient indian rishi spoke from him of that equanimity which gives the human soul its freedom of entrance to all i said to him you have the word and we are waiting to accept it from you india will speak through your voice to the world hearken to me 
years ago, I saw Aurobindo in the atmosphere of his early heroic youth and I sang to him, Aurobindo, accept the salutation from Rabindranath. Today, I saw him again in a deeper atmosphere of a reticent richness of wisdom and again sang to him in silence, Aurobindo, accept the salutation from Rabindranath. Now it is this divine person who wrote this great epic, we have seen how he wrote it, I have speculated why he wrote it, I have also said what it represents, it represents the verbal embodiment of Shurabindu's own consciousness and that's the reason that our attitude will be different from the attitude we normally take to the study of any great work of literature. I submit that the world lacks the theory of aesthetics which is adequate to come to terms with a book like Savitri. Sri in the future poetry of course has given us some basic framework of how to deal with poetry that comes from higher levels of inspiration but a complete aesthetics of it has yet to be worked out and therefore we will not attempt a critical usual kind of critical study of a literary work as I said this will be a heart's adoration of Savitri and that I promise it will be. Thank you very much. <clears throat>